into 2 Peter this morning, I just want to give you an update on one of our community partners that we've been partnering with for quite a while at this point, Moments of Hope. And you guys have heard us talk about this on Sunday mornings, because about every other month, uh, we tell you, hey, we're, we're going to be serving a bunch of meals to homeless and uh, poverty, people who are in poverty, uh, people who are in those situations. And so, you know, we ask for people to partner with us or to do- donate to that food, wh- whatever, whatever it is. Some of you have participated in it, and that's great. But maybe not all of us kind of understand the scope, especially if you haven't been there and helped serve those meals. And so I just wanted to read to you one of their most recent updates, just so you can appreciate that. And this is from... Um, July 16th, uh, which what? Man, that seems like forever ago, but that was just a couple Saturdays, Saturdays ago, right? I mean, it's almost August. Is that, is that kind of wild? Um, and here's, here's what the update says. <clears throat> Thanks to our friends at Velocity Church for preparing and serving lunch for our guests, especially those who endured the heat this afternoon to serve. 425 lunches with sandwiches and more is a lot to prepare and not cheap. Thank you all. A friend who lives in woods nearby shared that he had just completed six days of detox from heroin and is now starting the second phase of rehab. Please pray for him as he begins this journey. Another friend shared that the cancers he had been diagnosed with miraculously disappeared the day he faced surgery or treatment. No sign at all of cancer. The prayer of many were answered. Another friend came to give us a generous gift of $50 to give back. Our guest tally today was 479 men, women, and children. Not only was every lunch given out, but our mobile pantry handed out enough groceries to prepare over 2,800 meals. That's a ton of food, literally. As God continues to expand our reach each week, so increases the number of lunches our partner churches must prepare and the amount of groceries and other items we need either donated or funding to purchase enough to meet the growing needs. Please help us. Thanks to everyone who served with us today. I just wanted to share that with you. Just, yeah, I think that's worth, worth clapping about. I just want to share it because I think every once in a while it's good to have those reminders that when we serve with community partners and ministries like Moments of Hope and Fresh Start, that there, there's real things happening. There's real lives being impacted. And so it's more than us just coming together and putting some sandwiches together and, and meals and bags together. I mean, it's, it's going to, to real, real people, real lives are being impacted um, that are, you know, dealing with, you know, things that maybe we can only, only imagine or, or they can't, can't even imagine. And so I, I just want to appreciate how, how generous um, so many of you have been uh, as you contribute uh, to that and, and to our church and how that helps us to be able to continue doing those, those kinds of things. So I, I just wanted to share that this morning. Well, today and next week, for just two weeks only, we are going to go through Second Peter. And Second Peter is a short letter. It's only three chapters long. And like we have uh, when we went through First Peter, I just want to encourage you to spend some time reading that text on your own over the next couple weeks. It's a short, short letter. Um, but we're not going to go through every single verse. And, and I know that it will be impactful for you, especially if you have never read Second Peter, to go through and read, uh, read that text. Here's a summary from Peter from the final chapter of his second letter. So this is from Second Peter chapter 3. Peter says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. And so Peter, remember the context in which he is writing, it is not favorable to Christians. In fact, Peter is soon to be executed for his faith. 
And so Peter, come what may, is reminding the Christians that are surrounding him in, in every area surrounding Rome, whatever happens in life, whether things are going the best they ever have or whether things are going the worst they ever will in, in your life, um, Peter is reminding everyone that above everything else, he wants to encourage healthy thinking in our lives that is based on God's Word and, and to encourage us to have that healthy thinking that is based on God's Word um, to be following the commands of Jesus that are preserved for us in Scripture. And, and this isn't just conceptual for Peter. This is not just a mental exercise where he's, uh, you know, I think, therefore I am. Um, he has dedicated his life to being a disciple of Jesus and to putting into practice the teachings of Jesus. So this isn't a theoretical thing for him. It's not something that he just thinks about, like, you know, one, one day a week for about an hour and then kind of moves on with his life. And this is something that, that he practices day in, day out, every second of every day. And Peter is now nearing the end of his life because he's going to be executed for his faith. And knowing that he is about to die, Second Peter is, is kind of his final word. That is his final message um, to, uh, to the church, knowing what challenges they will face and, and consequently, you know, challenges that we continue to face today. It's a valuable exercise for us to consider. If we knew when we were going to die, and I don't know that, I don't think I want to know. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that would be healthy for me to have, a, you know, that website that you can go on, you know, the death calendar thing. I don't recommend it or anything like that. I've never done it myself. But you put in some information about yourself, and it's like, oh, all right, on this day, you know, in this year, um, you know, you might go put it on there, so, well, tomorrow. You know, it's, I mean, it means absolutely, absolutely nothing. But if you knew, if you knew that you had a week, two weeks, what, what would you do? What would be at the top of your list that you would want to communicate to your family and to your friends? What wisdom and life experience would you share? Maybe that would be an interesting exercise for this, us this week is to write that out. What, what list would we create? All right, here are the things that I want to make sure that the people in my life know these are the most important things in my life. This is the most wisdom, this is the best thing that I could possibly share uh, to you. And I think what we would discover is as we write that list, we would, we would find the things that are most valuable and precious to us. And it also would cause us to make those things maybe a little bit more important in our lives. Because some of the things that we feel are, are the most valuable and precious to us are not necessarily the things that we do. I mean, it's just human nature. I mean, we get distracted with other things. There are plenty of other things to, to do. I mean, there's that one TV show we haven't watched yet. You know, and, and, and yet we have this opportunity, this one opportunity to live out those important things to us in, the, in, in this life. And for disciples of Jesus, I mean, hopefully, theoretically, everyone at the top of the list, the most valuable and precious thing for our family and friends to know would, would be him. And the thing that Paul is concerned with the most with this final letter is wanting the church to be continually reminded and established in the way, the truth, and the life, namely Jesus. And what, what actually uh, most the letter contains is his warning against those who would lead the church astray from that truth and that way and that life. Imagine everything that Jesus did, taught and stood for, being undercut by people maybe just getting it wrong, or maybe people lying about it, or maybe people twisting it, or maybe people leveraging it. Pretty much the entire letter is dedicated to warning against false teachers. 
And we're going to talk about that here in a couple minutes. But before we get into the negative effect of false teachers, Peter talks about the positive effect of following Jesus and how that provides a contrast for us to recognize the difference between what is true and what is false. So here's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. And so Peter pre presents what, what is really a common theme throughout the entire New Testament, that there is a progression of growth that accompanies our faith that Jesus is the Christ. At least that's how it's supposed to work. It doesn't always happen, and we don't always grow at the same rate uh, because we don't necessarily uh, give ourselves you know, nutrients at, at, the same, at the same rate. Uh, but here's the thing that, that Peter wants to remind his, his audience, is that growth doesn't just happen. It's, it's something that we're intentional about, something that we're pursuing, something that's a, a priority for us. Just because we have a change in status in our relationship with God doesn't mean the mission is accomplished. In other words, while our salvation in Jesus Christ is meant to be celebrated, while our sins, like when we say yes to Jesus, when we're baptized and our sins are symbolically washed away, and that's a celebratory thing, that is not the end. Of, of what God is doing in our life. That is simply a starting point. When we say yes to Jesus, that, that is the beginning, not the end game. It is from that point forward that God wants to be with us and for us to want to be with him, that we seek to progress in learning to become who God created us to be. And while we are all unique, we are all brought together in community by common goals and a common progression in faith. Because Peter doesn't say, you know, some of you, some of you work on being good, some of you work on being self-controlled, some of you work on mutual affection, some of you work on love. He said, no, these are all things that we are working on together in becoming who God has created us to be. And without this progression, our faith not only becomes ineffective, we eventually become blind to the work Jesus has done on the cross. It's one thing to claim to know Jesus. It's another thing to become more like him. And and when it comes to people who are leading us astray, when it comes to false teaching, people talking about God in ways that you know, God doesn't talk about himself, it's important for us to know that difference. There's a difference between somebody who says, oh yeah, I like Jesus, he's great. There's a difference between that and somebody who's actually following Jesus and the evidence that we look for in the text, in scripture, that lets us know that that is the case. And Peter doesn't want us to be confused about which is which, because claiming to know Jesus without becoming more like him won't lead us to where we think we're going. And so Peter says, make every effort. 
I mean, th- this is not like just a throwaway phrase that he puts in here. I mean, he's, he's very serious a- about this. Make every effort to do this. There's a certain diligence required for us to grow in our faith and character. William Barclay, uh, in the letters of James and Peter, writes this. It says, faith does not exempt a person from works. The generosity of God does not absolve a person from effort. Life is at its noblest and its best when our effort cooperates with God's grace to produce the necessary loveliness. I like, I like that phrase at the end, the necessary loveliness. I mean, you read through Peter's list, and what, what is the end of that? The, the end of it is, is love. I mean, that, that is the progression that we're here. The necessary loveliness with which we view and live out life with God on this earth. Ultimately, it's our ability to experience real love versus unfulfilling substitutes that's at stake in our lives. And I think for the most part, we understand that conceptually. We, we get it. But as Peter mentions in verse 12, we need the continual reminder and we need the practice among each other in community because there are a good number of people that want us to exchange that truth for cheap alternatives. So Peter follows this up by warning against false teachers who leverage Christianity and who leverage scripture and who leverage the commands of Jesus to manipulate others to thinking and living contrary to what scripture says. Now listen, we're, we're gonna read a very brief part of this that, that when Peter talks about this in, in his second chapter, but, but I, again, I gotta tell you, you gotta read the whole chapter because Peter, Peter does not pull any punches here. I mean, he, he is very, very direct and very clear about how, you know, what the problems are with false teaching and what it produces in life. He doesn't pull any punches. But here, here's what he says um, in, uh, in, in chapter one. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, here, here's this brief aside before Peter jumps into to talking about false teachers. We can trust the content of Scripture because it is inspired by God. Yes, it is written by human beings who have their own personalities and their own writing style and their own life experiences, but yet there's this common thread throughout the whole of life and all, all of Scripture is that God is going to preserve His Word for us to know it and to be able to live it out for us to be comforted by it, for us to be corrected by it, for us to know his character and his nature. And so he has preserved that throughout the course of human history for us. And there are basic processes of good hermeneutics or interpretive practice that we employ when we approach the text. And so this kind of helps us uh, understand how we, how we guard against these false teachers that he's about to talk about. And, and so let me just give you a couple, couple things to, to have in your back pocket. And many of you will, will already know these, but it's good to be reminded. The first is this, when it comes to interpretive practice, when we read the Bible, the first thing to understand is the Bible is literal, as intended. That can be a, uh, that can be a, a tripping point for many people. Uh, what that means is, is that we remain faithful to the intended meaning of Scripture versus ignoring the language employed to suit a preconceived idea that we bring to the text. This allows us to be genuine with what the text is saying. In other words, we don't shape the text to fit us. We allow the text to shape us to God's will. 
The second is this, and it's all interconnected. The Bible is contextual. The history, the grammar, the language, the culture, the person writing at the time of writing helps us to understand the point being made. For example, when Jesus was teaching and preaching and and speaking in parables, a lot of his examples were for an agrarian society. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, we're, okay, I I think a mustard seed is supposed to be really small, you know, but how many of us have ever grown mustard or had mustard grown wild in our gardens? Like at... Anybody, right, exactly. Like, I, it was kind of rhetorical, but I didn't see anybody raise their hand. So uh, maybe I would expect like, maybe one or two of you to have had that experience. Um, when Jesus says this, he's speaking to an audience that knows that if mustard gets in the garden and it's let, let go, that it's going to take over the entire garden. That, that's how that works. Um, the Bible helps to establish its own context as well. For example, when we read in 1 Peter, we talked about this then, but um, a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, when Peter says, you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We don't understand that text until we understand what happens in the Old Testament. And in fact, in verse 10 there, that's a specific reference to Hosea, the prophet Hosea. And so even within that, understanding the whole of scripture, knowing knowing what it talks about helps us to understand the context of what those verses mean and what Peter is trying to communicate. Here's the problem. Those are basic, very basic, good hermeneutic practices. The problem is not everyone is faithful with good interpretive practice. And listen, there is a significant weight placed on those who preach and teach God's word. On the one hand, I like this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. All right, so uh, this week I expect that double honor, you know. You guys let me know. Uh, Next Sunday, I'll I'll just wait for the surprise. You know, that'll be great, okay? On the other hand, James says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. There is a balance there. It is a caution that is ignored by those who are motivated by things other than the character of Christ. So let's get into 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, brought, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Like I mentioned before, Peter doesn't pull any any punches when he talks about this. Listen, false, false prophets, false teachers throughout history have exchanged the truth for the lies of power and sex and greed and selfishness. And the reason they become successful and the reason they become popular 
even when, when we can look at the text and say, wait, wait, this doesn't match up with the character and nature of Jesus. Like, this doesn't match up with what Scripture is teaching. The reason it becomes successful and, power is be, uh, and popular is because these things pull on the strings of our own former evil desires. But those evil desires only remain former in our hearts when we participate in the divine nature of Christ and pursue his character and nature. And when we do, those things become less and less attractive. And so how we look at the world, how we define some of these things and how, Im- how they impact our life begins to change. The more we understand, for example, how discordant focus on self really is, we pursue community based on truth. The more we understand how insatiable greed really is, we pursue generosity and it is more than fulfilling. The more we understand how empty lust leaves us, the more we pursue love, which always lasts. The more we understand how powerless we really are, the more we experience the transcendence of self-sacrifice. The problem of false teaching isn't just that we'll have arguments about theology and doctrine. Like, it's not, it's not just about that. Those things exist because we bring our own baggage to the text, and it's important that we work through those, those things, and, 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 and we deal with them. The biggest problem of false teaching is that if we don't recognize it, and if we're caught up in it, we'll end up worshiping someone or something else other than God. So here's a statement of fact and a question to evaluate, or two questions to evaluate. We are all being discipled. We're all being discipled by someone or something. Our entertainment, our media, our friendships, our family, our workplace, whatever, our church. We're all being discipled. Who or what is discipling me? What, what, what voice is the most inspired in my life? And a follow-up question to that is, is it consistent with the Bible? And that's the primary standard I would encourage anyone to employ with any belief or opinion or interpretation of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, I really don't participate much on social media. Like, I'll scroll through, and I have a couple different social media accounts. Um, but, but one of the things I'm often amazed by and there, I don't know, there should be like a rolling your eyes emoji or something that you can, like for the like button. Um, I'm, I'm often amazed at how confidently things are stated or posted or shared that is just completely inconsistent with a b- biblical worldview. I mean, just not even close. And, and yeah, I mean, sometimes people who are not Christians will post, post those things like talking about Christianity, but I, I kind of expect them to get it wrong, right? But, but just by followers of Jesus, and I'm not saying, like, I have more people who are friends that are Christians than just people in the church, okay? So, like, this is not like a, oh, he's, like, side-tweeting us, or what, what's it called? That's not what it's called. Oh, my, I'm, I'm getting, I'm just losing it. Uh, my age is, is, is showing. So, that's okay. I'm good with it, though, because I'm just becoming more curmudgeonly. So, um, so it just, I don't care, you know? Um, and, and, and I see those things, and, I'm, and, and I just, that's one of the reasons why I've stepped back a little bit from social media and engaging, because there's so many times I'm like, okay, no, no, 
No, like it just doesn't, you know, conversation without relationship just, just isn't fruitful at all. So we'll just let this go. And it's, it's good for, you know, practicing patience and long suffering and, and those kinds of things. There's this, there's this meme-based theology that we've kind of gotten into that's popular to pass around where we give these like quippy statements that look really good with the backdrop of a mountain, you know, in, in the picture or something like that, or people like raising their hands in a field, you know, flowers or something like that. But you peel away at the surface just a little bit. You know, I have, I have questions. You peel away at the surface just a little bit and it just doesn't hold up. I was introduced, uh, I was introduced to a brand new phrase uh, this week by one of our um, younger uh, staff, staff members. It's called TikTok theology. I don't know if, I don't know if you heard, how many of you know what TikTok is? I don't have a TikTok. How many of y'all talk or tick? I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Um, I, I don't have, I do get the premise though. Short form video and, and when it comes to theology in relation to theology, it's condensed commentary with an emphasis on brevity versus depth. Um, and, and here's, <clears throat> here are the main, main problems with, with these types of things. When, when this is how we develop our theology and doctrine, our belief about God, and how, how it affects our, pro, our, 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 uh, our practice, is one, it's devoid of community. Um, and, and that's not how we're, we're called to experience Jesus. That it's always within community. And two, it, it's always more geared to what I think versus here's what God thinks. Here's what he has to say in his word. Here's what he's committed to. So, so again, it's shaping the text versus letting the sh- text shape us. And that approach has directed much of our culture's approach to important ideas, even beyond Christianity or even beyond religion. I mean, it's, it's impacting our politics. It's impacting our uh, societal norms, all those kinds of things, where you can make anything sound great or anything sound terrible in 140 characters. That'd be a great challenge. Just give me a topic. And, and I'll make it sound great or terrible in 140 characters or less. Uh, not off the cuff, not right now. But you can, you can do that with anything without too much critical thinking. All this to say that what we may know but need to be reminded of. Not everyone who is teaching something always has your best interests at heart. And they don't always necessarily have their own best interests at heart. Sometimes they don't know better. I, I don't know how much of it is, is mal- of malicious intent. For some people it is. Uh, because it comes from angerness, it comes from bitterness, it becomes, you know, places where people are not processing uh, things well, you know, um, and, and, and it doesn't have our best interest at heart. All the media we consume, the people that we're fans of, the ideas that we enjoy are all leading us to something. And if it's not Jesus, then we've got to tread cautiously. Wrong thinking leads to wrong actions, which leads us in the wrong direction. And listen, I, I, uh, I, I understand. You know, like when, I, when I read that James Passion, not many of you should become teachers because there's the weight of the responsibility. You're going to be judged a little bit differently. Listen, I, I get the weight of responsibility. Um, I don't, some of you know this about, I don't, I've probably shared this before, but I, I don't eat on Sunday mornings because I know food won't sit well in my stomach. The, the best I do is drink water. That's it. Can't drink coffee, can't eat. Uh, because every time, I, I mean, there's just, there's never been a time when I'm not up here preaching where I don't feel the weight of that responsibility. Because I understand the implications are more than just what you think about me, uh, what I think about myself. Um, it, it's, about, it's about us and God. And, and he's the focus here. 
And the desire is not to point to anything else but to him, but to Jesus, and to follow him in our, in our lives. And so I, 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 get, I get that responsibility for myself. But one of the things that we share in common with all of us is that we all have a responsibility to not be led astray by allowing someone else's voice to become more inspired in our lives than God's. And that includes me. And so here's, here's the practical application for all of us. Here, here's the statement. Be a Berean. Now some of you know exactly where I'm headed with this when you hear me say this. Because some of you have grown up in the church, you've heard this, this, this kind of idea. Some of you are like, I'm not sure. That maybe, maybe is a little bit of an obscure reference to something. I'm, I'm guessing it's something in, in, in Scripture, and it is. It's a reference to Acts chapter 17. And so let me, let me read that passage to you. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Listen, I am, I am absolutely, my goal in life is to be a trustworthy disciple of Jesus. That doesn't mean that I get every single thing right. 99.99% of the time, absolutely. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on. But I have, to, I have to leave some room there for imperfection. And so my, my, uh, it might be so rare you know, uh, all right, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop there. Um, ra rather, than, rather than just going along with whatever happened to sound good at the time, the, the Bereans knew, knew their scripture, the Old Testament for them at the time, and they were able to recognize and connect what Paul was teaching with the truth of scripture, and when they were able to recognize God's word being preached to them. And it was that in their process of examining the scripture together in community and concerning themselves not with what they think, but with what God thinks about those things, allowing themselves to be shaped by the text, that, that they were able to enjoy and appreciate together the truth of Jesus that Paul was sharing. May the same be said for us. With the myriad of messages that exist in our world and our access to them, 24-7, may we be fully aware of what they are leading to so that we might make every effort, every effort to grow and be effective in our character as disciples of Jesus. You know, a false teacher is someone whose words and actions over time are found to be inconsistent with Jesus. They're constantly leading a different direction. May, may we know the truth of Scripture, may we be Bereans enough to be examining Scripture so we can recognize when that is happening. May we know God's Word and practice it consistently so we know the difference between those who are claiming Jesus and those who are following Jesus. May we do that together, um, and may we make God our first, first priority, our every effort in this life so that we are not led astray. Let's pray. God, as we, um, as we spend time in your word and gather uh, together as worship, and we do this, we do this every week, um, God, we ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, 
allow it to continually shape our lives and our character so that we, um, we recognize who you have created us to be, um, to experience real life, to experience real humanity. Because without you, without, without life as, as you have created it to be, uh, we're, we're somewhere else. We're experiencing something else, something that is a shadow of, of what you have created for us to experience. And so, God, we ask that you guide us through your Holy Spirit, that you, you remind us of what we've read in your word, that you remind us of what we studied in your word, that you give us the words that we need in the moment, uh, that we come up against those things that we know are counter to, to truth, so that, um, so that we're able to be uh, protected. Uh, from the things that, that seek to lead us astray, the things that uh, seek to distract us. God, help us to be, um, help us to be attentive to who and what we are being discipled by. What messages are the most prevalent in our life? What inspired voice we allow to direct us and how we think and how we act? God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.